0: This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. I will talk about the technology stack of blockchain. This is going to be a very simple session, but also things that everybody should know. about the purpose of these education sessions, so why not? Since these are things that I want everybody to know, please also ask any questions, make this as interactive as possible. Um, so that I get a feedback: what's known, what I can skip. The idea to talk about the technology stack at all comes somewhat from this OZ model, which is a, a way of getting a technology stack of the internet, right? where, where you say, okay, base layer is there is a wire in the ground. Second layer is there is communication from left to right and back. Third layer is from this communication you can make the communication protocol, and so on and so forth, until a uh, seventh layer which is application layer and an eighth layer which is the user in front of the of the screen so and there are there are plenty of approaches to define a similar layer just define levels to talk about in blockchain uh, very often um, this comes down to um, there is the blockchain layer and then on top there is Bitcoin. Uh, I would never say such a thing. I had to look a long time until I found something which is a technology stack which does not make this assumption because I really don't like it. It's having such a layer model assumes that, that you can use the underlying layer without the one on top. Right? This, this is strictly building up. And between blockchain and Bitcoin this is clearly not the case. You cannot operate blockchain without Bitcoin. You need Bitcoin in order to have the incentive mechanism to incentivize the behavior that brings forward the blockchain, and vice versa. So um, they depend on each other, they are not layers at all. Why does it still make sense to talk about the technology uh, layer of blockchain? Because there is a lot to learn here. So I found this one, honestly I don't even know where it's it's from, but um, I can also pass that around later or you can have a look. Uh, Which kind of defines the lowest layer, the infrastructure layer. This is really what what this thing is built from. In in that model, basically, this infrastructure layer is the seventh layer of the OSI model. So obviously, we built build on top of the internet, on top of computers, on top of hard drives, on top of the things that were there before blockchain. Okay. So I, I'm I thing I do not have to say much about that. Second layer is networking and protocol. That's kind of important because that's that's what builds the blockchain that's the communication that enables getting the blockchain further 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 having an agreement on what is a legal continuation on blockchain and what is not a legal continuation in order to do that obviously you have again two sub layers Um, you have the peer-to-peer layer which is literally how do the participants of the network talk to each other If there is a new block, if there is a new transaction, if there is information that needs to be propagated through the network, how does that happen um, on this network layer? And the second thing is then, uh, what are the rules based on which something is being added to the protocol? Okay, let me come to the next one, which is kind of the service layer. Um, Service layer is something which is super slim in Bitcoin and super wide in other things like Ethereum. So I will only talk very short time about that. On Bitcoin service layer can include something like there is a possibility to, to make not just raw transaction, but to make multi-signature transactions, to have a scripting language on top of Bitcoin. On Ethereum that can mean that uh, you have uh, access to outside information via oracles, that you have libraries on Ethereum. You know, one example of that was not every smart contract that you have on Ethereum stands for itself. They can reference other, um, other things. Right? There is um, one famous example was that for the parity multisig smart contract that, which is a smart contract which will be in the somewhat between service layer and application layer. Probably I should make a fifth layer on, on this one. But um, which, which was a smart contract in itself doing multisig Checking multisig, but was itself not having the full code of that, but referencing into a library. This library is kind of the the infrastructure layer um, below that. This library was deployed by one person as some sort of smart contract. Everybody can look at the code of this library, and then people decided to uh, instead of writing my own functions, I can use helper functions that are already included in this um, existing already deployed smart contract makes it cheaper, makes it more efficient, makes it also very dangerous because this, there was a um, self-destruction mechanism in this library code and then every smart contract that, used, uh, that, that were, was linking into this library was basically going inaccessible forever. On top of that there is then the application layer which is between the, the infrastructure layer and the human. So how do I as a human interact with that those are wallets depends on this somewhat more floating not clear layers but also you could say that geth um, for example is a goes into that layer geth being the go ethereum client so the way that if you want to write a smart contract you have to write that somewhere and then deploy it onto the blockchain you do that via a node software that allows you to do that this node software does a lot of things right the node software basically is your entry point into this highest layer, into the service layer. It's your application layer that lets you talk to the service layer. But the same piece of software also checks the consensus on the lowest layer. Those are just several different functions that one piece of software does. It's still somewhat separate layers. Why is this even interesting? Um, It might not be. I just wanted to somewhat raise awareness that quite often those things get intermingled when talking about something. This goes back to something which is not day-to-day operations anymore, but a a long time ago. There was always this question about forks. What is a fork? What constitutes a fork? You you had people arguing, yeah, um, an upgrade of Bitcoin, making it 2 megabytes instead of 1 megabyte, or adding certain functionality is not a big deal, because there is literally a button on GitHub which you can use to fork the code. So forking is something that, that happens every day. But it's a very different thing if you fork a piece of software because you think that you can do a better job on the UI or on the UX in the top layer, or because you want to make it somewhat enable other types of interaction with the blockchain. If you fork the service layer in saying, okay, previously people deployed multi sig smart contracts that only allow for M of N, now I want to do something which has. Uh, Time restrictions as well, this is also kind of taking the existing code for writing a smart contract, forking that code, deploying your own version of that on the same blockchain, there is a difference between forking the peer-to-peer layer, the communication of the nodes with each other, which is continuously done, it happens all the time. For example, Bitcoin introduced something, I forgot what it was called. You might argue that it's more important for miners to share information about newly found blocks with each other. It's more important than sharing it with everybody. So there are, next to the peer-to-peer network where everybody gossips with everybody, there there can be alternative information or uh, means of exchanging information which go Directly from, from one miner to another miner, or I can have a contract that actually does happen um, with a miner. That uh, instead of, of propagating my transaction that I want in the blockchain through the P2P network, I can just upload it on the website of the um, of the miner, so that he includes it directly, which might be more efficient. And I might have a standing contract with him that I pay him by credit card once a month instead of of yeah, including the fees for the on-chain transaction. There are a lot of, of such things in the peer-to-peer network that can change without changing anything on which is somewhat purely optional. Right? Just because a few miners decide to change the peer-to-peer process, um, I might not be impacted with that. Or if somebody finds a more efficient way of, of propagating transactions through the peer-to-peer network, that would not be a big thing think people would just adapt that, that's done. Actually that happened very recently, uh, not more efficient, but more private. This is the dandelion <coughs> thing that we talked about a week ago or so. So changes on, on those are mostly not a big thing, whereas changes on the protocol layer, not the cable, not the internet connection, but the layer above that, the blockchain layer, uh, where you declare, where you change the rules on, on what's considered a valid um, continuation of the blockchain. So it's a bit unfortunate that for those very vastly different things, they all have the same name. They are all called a fork. And it's true that if you go to, to GitHub where you can download the Bitcoin client or where you can download uh, the, some Ethereum wallet, it has a button saying fork, which gives you a copy of that software that you can manipulate at will. But that's just a fork in the version control system or in the, in the, the version numbering, for lack of a better word, of that piece of software that doesn't change anything in the way that people communicate with each other. It's like a Windows update. You, you can still uh, have a working environment if you don't update your Windows. So, yes, I think a better example would, would even be something like, um, say, different mail clients. Right, You can have Outlook, I can have K-mail, and if I don't like the color of Kmail, um, I can easily. Uh, KMail is open source, take that open source code, uh, change the coloring scheme and compile it myself and you use, can still use Outlook. Right? So there is um, the, the mail protocol itself is quite a good analogy very often for the Bitcoin protocol in that making changes to, how, to the mail protocol would, would basically destroy the world at this point. If people could not communicate with each other anymore, that would be disastrous. Okay, I had hoped for more interactivity, so that's... I've got a question. I mean, I I look up soft fork, I look up hard fork. Both sound pretty awful because um, hard fork means that things in the past um, that were invalid are now valid. Soft fork meaning things um, in the past are no longer valid. If I look at it from the standpoint of a um, token or Cryptocurrency, both of those are not very good if I'm involved with that or, um, or really want to work with it. I mean, the definition that you gave is, is correct and is also the, the most widely floated one, but I don't think that this one is particularly helpful for kind of intuitive understanding of why this is good or bad. And you're right, both is bad. I, I, I like that a hard fork is a loosening of the rules and a soft fork is a tightening of the rules. Right. So you, with a with a hard fork, you, as you said, you declare something as valid that was previously not. You lose the rules. With a with a soft fork, you declare something invalid which was previously valid. So you kind of restrict the the amount of things that you can do. The reason both are bad because uh, the protocol layer should should that's a very strong should but should not change at all. Right. If it, if it does something, it's not went wrong or the reason why a soft fork is somewhat considered to be less intrusive, less disastrous for the system is really that, that with the soft fork nobody's being left behind. If, if say, there is vast agreement uh, between people to execute a certain soft fork, say 60-70% indeed opt to, to agree to the soft fork, which is which is a lot, right? Because most people won't even care. That's, that's like typical turnout of an election is 60%. <laughs> depends on where you are, but, but the rest doesn't even care, right? So, so getting 60% of someone to agree on something first means that you get 60% to care about the topic. So that's already very high, but below that you can forget about any type of work. But let's say you have 60-70% of, um, of a community to, to agree on that. Now what happens with the other 30%? If you do a, a tightening of the rules... Then let's just say you give you an example. Let's just say I want to do something which previously was a lot and it's no longer. And I did not my I did not update my code. I I might have uh, not listened at all to the discussion. I'm not aware that that, the, that this is no longer valid. That, that, uh, that I cannot do that. I might try, and just notice that uh, the majority of people says, well, no, you can't. So um, I might try to get my transaction into the blockchain. And I might be surprised why nobody picks up this transaction, but me being surprised is not the worst thing that happens. While if, I, um, if, you do, if you do it the other way around, if you allow something that was previously not allowed, then I, as somebody who did not upgrade my software, that did not care about the debate, my node at home would just see the, the, the chain that happens as, okay, something invalid is happening. I'm not following that. So my node would not propagate at all, or worst case, would, would with the other nodes that did not upgrade, form a secondary network, right? So you have some of the, the fast-moving uh, 70% network of the, those that, that loosened the rules, um, and you have a secondary network of only 30% of the people on the nodes that, that are on different rule set. So a soft fork, um, a hard fork now, led to a chain split. And a soft fork does not lead to a chain split. There are situations when a soft fork can lead to a chain split. Um, if you if you really break it down, but uh, let's just say if fifty one percent of community, whatever community means, and there are very different opinions about that, if fifty one percent of community goes along with the a fork, a soft fork is fine, and a hard fork leads to chain splits. So this is why why kind of the topology of the propagation of the network changes is, it is vastly different between those two. With a hard fork, you literally need 100% to go along to avoid a chain split. And a chain split, by the way, is also often called fork, which makes it even more yeah, confusing. more confusing. But a lot of that is really just confusion of stuff. Right? <laughs> it's it's a of confusion of the word fork. But this is this is just why I find it in, important to, to understand what different. Layers of the, of the technologies that are there because that allows you to understand that uh, that, that changing or making um, making modifications impacting different layers has different outcomes to the whole network and for that really the only Relevant layer is the, the blockchain layer. Everything else on top of that is by chain. There are a few exceptions there was a case where actually the application layer, a single individual smart contract, the DAO contract, was so disastrous, wrong and broken and lost funds or had funds stolen, um, that the community in Ethereum came together, whatever that means, there has been a, has actually been an election with a very low turnout um, of, was it, three votes or something. Um, well, no, that's not entirely true, but three, three votes already uh, decided the election. They were, like, you had a, a voting power based on the amount of Ether that you held, and three wallets voted that those alone done deal. And then there were a few small ones that didn't matter at all. So, uh, when there was an, an election held, to, they decided to change the protocol layer, in order to fix the application layer, this is also something that that you can want to learn from OSI layer. You would never do that. You would never change uh, the wire and the ground in order to fix an application that is broken. That's that's not bad. You you might change the wire and the ground to make stuff more efficient, right? You can replace the copper by by uh, fiber or something. Um, but that doesn't change the behavior of the, of the ones above, it only increases the efficiency it? Right. But nevertheless, this is what, what happened in 2015, 15. 15. but Ethereum was merely one year old at that point. Okay, yeah. Are there more questions? I hope for some. You can mention the most prominent Bitcoin for example. Well, for, for Bitcoin, as I said, you have the, the, the blockchain itself, right? there's not much there. Uh, you have a very thin service layer on, on Bitcoin, uh, because you have very very few possibilities to um, to do certain things on the blockchain. You, it's, it's for value transfer. There are a few now. There is uh, Simplicity. Simplicity is a programming language and compiler that allows you to, to write um, simple scripts, and translate them into valid transactions. That would be one, but apart from that, the service layer is really mostly empty in Bitcoin. For the application layer, um, it's obviously Bitcoin Core, uh, the the node software itself, which also acts as a a wallet via the command line interface or the Qt um, UI that I actually never used in my entire life. There are then some thin um, wallets that do not run their own node but interact with a Bitcoin node or with an Electrum X meter node. Um, those would be Electrum on your um, on your desktop or on your mobile, you have on an Android, Mycelium, um, which is a great wallet but recently, or not that recently anymore, uh, started to monetize itself by very scammy advertisements. Then there are, for for iPhone, there is Bread wallet. Um, Those would be the application layers on on, on Bitcoin. If you do the the same thing on Ethereum, then it's there, it's a bit richer since you have more use cases on that. You also have more windows there, so more more ways of interacting. Same thing, you have Geth and Parity as the the software that interacts directly with the blockchain and does the peer-to-peer network. Uh, On top of that, you have um, then UIs uh, at least GET does not have a UI only as a command line interface but Parity has a web-based UI which even allows you to, um, to develop smart contracts within the UI uh, you have My Ether wallet as kind of the, the most widely used web-based wallet which does com- communication with smart contracts but is mostly geared towards um, value transfer in Ether and ERC20 tokens. What else do you have? You have Metamask um, which is a a browser plugin for Chrome that enables interaction with the blockchain on all different different websites. So depending on how far you want to want to build, want to get this layer, this is some sort of service layer enabling other applications. But it's not a service layer on the which is of deployed on the um, on the blockchain as a smart contract library or infrastructure there. But it's really just uh, infrastructure that enables other applications to run to to do the communication with the blockchain. Yeah, that's probably mostly on the most important ones. I don't think we have a very stupid question. It's not possible technologically or the otherwise to avoid forks. This is just a like, flaw in the concept of the DLT, the blockchain technology. It's not a flaw. <laughs> <laughs> it is possible to in avoid one. forks um, by having an authority. But by it's no longer, then it's no longer decentralized. Okay? Then it's no longer decentralized. If you have a decentralized system, then kind of by definition of that, you can have, I mean, just, just imagine a very simple case. Um, let's say everybody is in good faith, there are no attacks, everybody is happy. But the, the big firewall of China, uh, which currently slows down communication between China and the rest of the world dramatically, becomes kind of not slowing it down, but killing it altogether, mm-hmm. if something like that would happen you would have a continuation of the blockchain in China and a continuation of the blockchain out of China. Then somebody tears down the blockchain, what do you do? You you just have two tips and you want to merge those tips again. The wall, not
1: the blockchain. Yeah. Someone tears
0: down the wall. Someone tears down the wall. Gorbachev style. So just just from that. And there, this this is this has nothing to do with uh, with kind of deficiencies or shortcomings of the blockchain. This is really in the communication layer, um, that you can have that. So, the only way of, um, of overcoming forks or overcoming chain splits, at least, um, would be author- an authority which, which sits there and says, that's valid, that's not. Done. That happens, for example, in IOTA. Every two minutes, you have the coordinator which says, this is valid, that's not. Um, it happens kind of in Ethereum. In Ethereum, I mean, maybe I should say that. In Bitcoin, um, having a, four, a chain split of size 1 happens once a day, right? so that uh, that just 2 miners find a block at the same time, nothing malicious happening, then one of the two will, will find, uh, or on one of the two, right? you might really have half of the world there, half of the world following that, one of them will, will find a, a block sooner than the other one, um, and then people will agree on that, you agree on the longest chain. If it happens also by chance that the second block is also kind of found around the same time, it happens around once a week. So nothing bad happening with it. In Ethereum, having, um, they call it an uncle, so having having a chain split of, of size one happens around once a minute, right? So correspondingly, you also have two, three, four blocks deep splits every once in a while. So for Ethereum, uh, there is something similar to an authority which says this is valid, this is not, and his name is Vitalik. What only happened or only had to be used very few times, but that it's there changes something already. Yeah. So then there there might be a spectrum of of how decentralized does something need to be. In Bitcoin, you or Bitcoin, Ethereum, and most of the of the chains nowadays, you do have the, the problem that you do not even know how many entities there are. It's something called a a civil attack that I myself can just operate 10 computers and may seem to the outside world as if I'm 10 people. So voting does not work if you, if you don't have identity if you don't have, if you are susceptible to civil attacks. Um, but if you do have identity, it doesn't even have to be something like a, like an identity uh, like like a, like a personal ID card or something, but just being able to count how many different entities are there, then it's actually much easier. Then you can say, as soon as 51% agree on one or the other, that's valid. So you can have that, that's then something like a, a semi decentralized between certain entities. It's not one authority, but it's, it's spread out there. Typically, you don't use 51%, but two thirds. Yeah, there are good reasons for that, but that's really going towards incentives and, and, and um, proof of stake, goes along the lines. But so that's the way that, for example, EOS works. EOS has 23 block producers, I believe 23 block producers. Those are uh, elected entities and I don't even want to go into the discussion how you do this election if also during that time you're not, you not immune to civil attacks. But at some point, 23 entities evolved from that where people assume that they act in good faith. So you, you know that if, if 12 of those uh, agree <coughs> on something then that's, if, and that's decided by authority and you will never get a chain split unless somebody changes their mind and you can disincentivize the behavior of changing your mind uh, there are ways that you can do that but it's uh, so yeah th- that kind of makes it a, um, makes decentralization going from anarchic to, to somewhat aristocratic <laughs> oligopolistic Um, makes that a scale and you go from centralized to decentralized in the same way. Can you also elaborate on the other family members involved in blockchain terminology? So you said there's uncles, there's orphans, there's... uh, I can, and it's super fun that it's... (laughs) I mean, Stepchildren, fathers-in-law. Kind of, kind of. um, So what you have is you have orphans, right? Orphans are, if you have two blocks being followed at the same time, one continues, then the other one is called an orphan. Which is uh, which is a stupid notion, because the, okay, let's, let's be easier, if you have a chain, then your predecessor, the, the, the one before you, is called your parent. Which kind of makes, um, if you have a chain split of size one that does not continue, that has a parent, but does not have a child. So calling that thing an orphan is kind of very wrong at <coughs> that point already. <laughs> so uh, in Ethereum, in, in Bitcoin that's not called, um, pardon, uh, in Ethereum they have introduced something which actually I think is fairly smart. They say if you have an orphan uh, you can just in a later block reference that orphan. Whatever is, is done in the orphan is not even passed but you, you just prove there has been yeah, it's a signed header, so work has been spent on, on something and you get a, a small additional uh, reward for that. And the reason why I think that that's actually but, a smart but idea... But is the reference done by a, You can't link the hash to it, can you? How's the reference you can done? link the hash because um, in, the, in the header, yeah. I mean, the, the header of the author references its own data and references its parent. So, the previous block, yeah. so yeah, so you just forget about the, the own data, but you can still just on the header, just on 80 bytes of data, prove that it referenced the same parent. Okay. Right. So um, if you have two um, two blocks, one continuous, then this one mm-hmm. can decide to include the hash of the other one. Right. And this is why, because it's a slightly above but the beneath, this is called the uncle. Um, so, the uncle adopts the orphan <laughs> just by someone saying there was an orphan and I can cryptographically prove that it was an orphan. Uh, you do not um, use the data of that at all, but you just use the information that it has been an orphan. And I like that because that can be used as some sort of metric of the health of the system. If you have in um, a lot of orphans, um, then that tells you that probably the block rate is too high, right? Because uh, that tells you that. At the time when the next block was found, the previous block was not yet probably propagated through the network. So, if you have a lot of these orphans, it tells you that the parameters of your system are are off. And in Bitcoin, it's uh, not possible to see how many orphans there are. I mean, obviously, if you listen to the network, you can see, okay, now there are two and I lost one of them. But I will not be able to get back in time and see how many orphans have there been last week. While in Ethereum, you can. Because so you get a, ref- a reward for referencing orphans. And this referencing of orphans is called an uncle. when the uncle adopts an orphan. Which is not really an orphan. That's very weird. When you go to Ethereum, then there are, still, at least in Casper, so in these new, newly developed proof-of-stake systems, they go to grandfathers, that kind of stuff. That's <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in case the uncle dies for
1: <laughs> no, no it's, I, it's, it's, oh, I forgot the
0: details. It's, it, it's about the notion of when something is finalized. And it's, it says that... It's, I'm not prepared for that. And there's this two-third logic saying if you have two-thirds of the state um, voting for one, one block, then those that voted here cannot vote and one-third on another one. But you, then those that voted two-thirds here cannot vote on the child or the other. Which, which kind of makes it, if you have one deep, uh, uh, I don't know. You some, in some way you do not only need to reference the parent, but also the parent before that, which is the grandfather, in making that thing finalized. Uh, to, 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 don't ask me about the details, Berna knows as good as I am, she was around when we talked about that. True. <laughs> True. 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 Oh, I see the slides in front of my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it's, That's some of the problem with Proof-of-Stake. Proof-of-Stake is is, um, secure because it's complex and it's... Which makes it insecure. insecure. It's only um, secure until a smarter guy comes along and Bitcoin or Proof-of-Stake is... uh, Sorry, Proof-of-Work is secure because it's simple, because I can put it down on one A4 page and Proof-of-Stake white papers these days are typically 50 plus pages. Bitcoin was eight. The white paper, including the the full description of a blockchain, Right. While well, proof of stake is only the consensus mechanism with 50 pages. They're still not done. Yeah. Good. Are there any further questions? Yeah, probably if you can mention SegWit for the ones. SegWit? Yeah. SegWit was an example, was the most recent example actually of soft fork that extended the, pa- the, the capabilities of the Bitcoin blockchain. It was a tightening of the rules even though it allowed things that were previously not possible. And was that ease? Slightly evil, right? Because you, um, I, I said that software tightens the rules, and at the same time, I say SegWood enables things that were previously not possible. The way that it did that was tightening the rules in saying, if I have a, a, a certain script that says everybody can do whatever he wants, then to somebody who did not upgrade, it looks like everybody can do whatever he wants. But to everybody who did upgrade he knows that this does not actually mean everybody can do whatever he wants, but it means that the rules on what you can do are elsewhere, right? (laughs) And the the old ones did not even look there, the new ones know what to check for. So this was a a rather dirty trick on keeping with this, it is technically a soft fork, but at the same time, uh, extending the things that you can do. And uh, this concept can actually be uh, used to 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 do or to allow just about anything, which, which makes it very dangerous. I don't really like that. <laughs> okay. Good. Thank you very much. You. This episode was brought to you by Cryptofinance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch